Good morning. How are you all? Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. It's a special day. So I wanted to just come to you. I was um, feel very honored and blessed that I be able, get to be able to come up here and share with you guys. I get to speak to your children every week, and that's a blessing. But now I get to speak to you, and I'm I'm excited. Um, when Pastor Seth asked me a few months ago if I wanted to to preach on Mother's Day, I already knew right away what I was going to talk about. It's like yes. And I don't know if that's just because I've been waiting for him to ask me or if it's just because God has got this message in my heart. And I really want to share it with you because it's a message that has ministered to me in my life as a mother and um, a sister and a daughter and just with families. And it's about the title of my message is Keep On and Keep Fighting. And it's about how we are fighting for our families and how we go through times in our lives where we need to go to war for people in our families, spiritual war. And um, as a mother, I've had to do that many times with my children. And um, we've, I, have four chil- I have five children, and the teenagers keep me on my knees a lot. <laughs> That's just because they're, the, they're in a spiritual war themselves. They are out there in the world. And they're battling a lot of things. And so there have been times in my life where I've really had to go to war for my children. And and the things that they're facing, they've gone through difficult times. And they've faced lots of discouragement and attacks. And um, this passage of scripture that I'm going to be speaking to you today has been one that has helped me to get through and help me persevere. And... So it's based on Nehemiah from the book of Nehemiah. So I'm going to do what I do with the kids every Sunday. I'm going to tell you a Bible story lesson. You guys ready for that? All right. Okay, so here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. He was a Jew, but at this time, the Jews are being held, they're being ruled by Persia. They're being held captive. But... Throughout the time of history, since they were captive, they were allowed, the kings at that time, let them have different groups of exiles go back to Jerusalem to live and restart over. So at the time of Nehemiah, it's been about 90 years since the first group of exiles have returned back to Jerusalem, and they've restored the temple, and they're starting over. But Nehemiah has chosen to stay in Persia and be the cupbearer to the king. Well, one day, some friends and family come to visit Nehemiah from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asks them, how are things going? How are things with my people? Are they doing well? Are they surviving? Are they worshiping God? Are they following the Lord's commands? Well, the news is not good. It's not. In fact, the the news is so bad that it puts Nehemiah into a depression. He goes, he pretty much is depressed and saddened for months. And he cries out to God, oh, what can I do to help my people? Now, the reason why he was concerned for them is because the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. They were not repaired. The the temple had been restored, but the walls surrounding them had stayed in the ruins. They had stayed in ruins. They weren't repaired. So why why does this bother Nehemiah? Why is he concerned about these walls being broken down? Well, it's because broken down walls reveal a broken down people. They are exposed, they feel shamed, they feel like there's no protection from their enemies, and 
and that's basically what was happening. Their enemies were were controlling them, were con- um, attacking them. And this saddened Nehemiah greatly. And he knew, he knew that he needed to get back to Jerusalem to help the people build the walls so they can be a restored people, so they can continue worshiping their God, restart, renew, refresh with, a, with, with rebuilt walls. So months go by, and he's, he, the king asks him, he says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Why are you so depressed? And Nehemiah tells the king, he says, well, my people need, a bro- they need the walls to be restored. They're broken down. I'm very saddened by the news of what is happening to my people in Jerusalem. And he asks the king, will you let me go and will you let me start a building project, so to speak, so I can rebuild these walls with my people? And the king says yes, if Nehemiah promises to come back. So Nehemiah promises, and the king gives him his permission. He sends him out with letters of recommendation and approval. He sends him with armies, with a cavalry, and with the resources he needs to build this wall. So Nehemiah comes, and he arrives in Jerusalem, and he surveys the situation. He, he goes around, and he, he walks, he travels around the wall, and he sees where things need to be repaired. And then he talks to the people, and he gathers them up, and he says, let's build this wall. And they're all on board, and they start to build this wall. And as they're building the wall, though, the enemies that have been controlling them and the enemies who have been basically harassing them are angry. They're very, very upset. And they start taunting them. They taunt them with words like, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Can they even finish this in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? They're, they're taunting them. They're like basically telling them, you can't do this. It's impossible. But here's what the people do. They say, hear us, our God, for we are despised. They cry out to God. And then they continue to keep building. Well, this makes the enemy even more mad. Their, their, their tactics aren't working. So they say, well, let's attack them. If we can't destroy them with our insults, let's destroy them physically. So he start, they plan to attack. Well, these rumors hit the, um, the Jews in Nehemiah who are building on working this wall, and they hear about the threats, and they devise a plan of action. And this is kind of where I want to talk with you today is about the, what Nehemiah did and how he responded to the attacks of the enemy and how he encouraged his people to keep on and to keep building and to keep fighting. So what we need to do, first of all, when we look in any kind of passage, passage of Scripture in God's Word, because it's relevant to us today, God's Word is relevant, we ask ourselves, so what I want us to do is ask ourselves these questions. What are we building? What are we working on in our spiritual lives? Well, I believe we're building spiritual foundations for our family. We're building the spiritual foundations for ourselves. We're building up, we too are working on building up those walls of protection around ourselves and around our families. What are we fighting for and who are we defending? Well, we could be fighting for our children. As a mother, I fight for my children a lot. We could be fighting for our own battles. Maybe we're struggling with some personal things that we need to overcome. Whatever it be, we know we're fighting for victory. Who is our enemy? Well, we have to remember in this war, in this spiritual war, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We are not the enemy. The enemy is Satan. 
He is a thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy our faith in Christ. So we're going to take a look at this passage, and I've come up with three tactics that I feel like Nehemiah used in helping his people. If the first thing that he did, the first thing they did is that they prayed. They cried out to God. When the enemy came against them, when the enemy came and attacked them with insults, with discouragement, with despondency, they said, Oh, God, hear us, they cried out. And when the enemy came against them, they prayed. They were ready to fight. They had their weapons. They had their guards. But they didn't attack that way. They attacked by calling on God and asking him to fight for them. They put their faith in him, and they said, Our God will fight for us. And he answered. Because if you read in this passage, it says that God frustrated the plans of the enemies. I love that. When Satan comes against you, just say, God, frustrate the plans of the enemies. He has no power over you. So what can we apply in this passage? We realize our battles are not fought in our own strength. We are depend on the strength of the Lord. The moment, the very moment, don't wait, but the moment you feel that attack, cry out to God and say, oh, God, save us. And pray that he will frustrate the plans of the enemies. Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? God is on our side. And we can fight the enemy through prayer and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray God's word. And pray with authority. 1 John 4.4 says, You, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So cry out to God. That's the first thing you do. You pray to God. Number two, you remember who you're fighting for and who you're fighting with. One of the most strategic things that Nehemiah did when the enemy came to ta- against them is that he posted them in groups of families, it says. He stationed them in families. And then he gave them a reason to fight for and, and reminded them who they were fighting for. Um, a few years ago, I was going through a really difficult time with some things that were going on in my family. Satan was really attacking us in my family. He was, he was kind of like these enemies in this story, just all out. He was all out to destroy my children. He was all out to destroy their faith, and he attacked them through many difficulties that they were facing. And it was hard as a mother to go through this, to watch your children suffer, and to know that sometimes the only thing you can do is pray. And I did pray. I mean, I fought this battle on my knees, but it was discouraging because Satan would not relent with his attacks upon my mind and upon my spirit. He would tell me things like, you can't do this. You're a bad mom. Something's wrong with you. Something is wrong with your children. And it was like a constant battle in my mind to fight. And it was exhausting. And it wasn't just that, but I had to do uncomfortable things for my children. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. And I wanted to give up because other people in their life who were important to them gave up. And I thought, well, I want to run away too. I want to give up. But I knew I couldn't. And so I called my mom, who is my spiritual warrior. She's amazing. 
And that's my tribute to you, Mom, on Mother's Day. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yes, she's awesome. <laughs> and I was explaining to her, I'm like, Mom, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I just, I'm done. And she said to me, she showed me this verse. She's the one who introduced me to this book of Nehemiah that's pretty amazing. And she says, Johanna, you can't. She, she told me this verse. It's Nehemiah 4.14. And she said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And you fight for your family, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. She basically told me, don't give up. You are all those kids have. You fight for them. Don't let the enemy defeat you. So we remember when we're going through these struggles, remember who you're fighting for. It's your children. It's your, it's your wife. It's your husband. It's your brother, your sister, whatever it is in your life who, who is going through a hard time. Fight for them. And then if you yourself are going through that hard time, surround yourself with family. Nehemiah knew that they needed their families around them. He didn't put them with strangers. He put them with his fa- their families. So surround yourself with family. Don't think you can do it alone because you can't. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Gather yourself around your family. Lean on those spiritual giants in your life and let them pray with you. Let them encourage you. Let them help you in the battle that you are fighting. So we know that we can call out to God because he fights for us and he will frustrate the plans of the enemy. And two, we remember who we are fighting for and who we are fighting with. Number three, the third tactic I feel that Nehemiah used is that he made sure they carried their weapons with them at all times. In verse 17 and 18 of Nehemiah 4, It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand, and they held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Then later on in verse 23, it says, neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. We each had a weapon, even when we went for water. They always had their weapons. Those who carried the materials... They held one with one hand, and they, they worked with one hand, and they held the weapon in the other. The builders who were building had their swords with them at all times. Even when they went to refresh themselves with water, they carried their swords. They never let them down. Why does this tell us? Why the importance? It's because they knew that the, enemy of the, the threat of the enemy was real. They weren't taking it lightly, but they also knew that they had to fight the enemy with their weapon. If they let it down, it means they let their guard down. And they could not let themselves be vulnerable to the enemy. Why a weapon? Why not a shield? Why do they have to have a weapon? Well, I believe it's because a weapon attacks. It's, you're ready. When you have your weapon on you, you are ready to attack when that enemy comes against you. 
So we know that they could not let their weapons down. So what does this mean to us? Well, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, what are our weapons against the enemy? And remember, our enemy is Satan. So what do we use to fight against Satan? So according to Ephesians 6, 13, and 17, it says this, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You stand your ground, you put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, you put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, you hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. You put on salvation as your helmet and you take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's your weapon, God's word. You cannot fight your battles without getting into God's word daily. It has to be strapped to your side. It needs to be with you at all times. Some of us, like in the story, we're carrying heavy burdens. We're the ones carrying the load. Or maybe we're the ones who are doing the building. We're building up that spiritual wall of protection around us, around our families. Maybe some of us are standing guard over our loved ones and we're, we got our weapon and we're ready to attack at any cost. But you can't do that without your weapon. You have to do it with the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So while we're fighting, while we're fighting for our families, for God's deliverance, for his intervention, we need to be in his word. Hide his word in your heart. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Speak it out loud. Claim verses over your children. Find a verse and pick that verse and claim it for your child or your loved one or for yourself and speak it. Speak it daily. Jesus knew this tactic when he was fighting the enemy. In the desert, we know that when Jesus was in the desert, Satan came to tempt him. And how did Jesus counteract him? With the scriptures, with the word of God. All he had to do was speak it. That's it. He didn't even have to explain it. He just spoke it, and it was there. Now, Jesus didn't just know the word of God because he was the son of God. He knew it because he studied it. Jesus grew up in Galilee, and the people of Galilee at that time of Jesus were considered the most religious Jews in the world. It is believed that the Galilean people were more educated in the Torah and its application than most any Jews at that time. They were known for their great reverence for Scripture and the passionate desire to fulfill it. According to the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the Jewish law, it states that at the age of five, a Hebrew child is expected to start reading the scriptures. And this is in the Hebrew language. It's speculated that at this age, most children had large portions of scripture memorized and some the entire, entire Torah. Now, some of you might be asking, what is the Torah? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not the most exciting verses of chapters of the Bible not the ones we go to most of the most time to memorize but that's the ones they studied and memorized it was the law 
So you see, Jesus grew up in this culture, in this family tradition that valued the word of God. And he was ready at the age of 30 to go forth into his ministry and speak with authority because he had been taught it. I can't emphasize to you enough as parents and as families to read the word of God with your children every day. Don't neglect it. Don't get too busy in your schedule that you think, oh, I forgot to do that. It's so important. I was very blessed and fortunate to grow up in a family that taught and valued the word of God. My, great, my grandfather, my dad's father, was passionate, and I'm not using that word lightly. He was passionate about the word of God, so passionate that he memorized almost the entire Bible. He would have whole books memorized, and he, it didn't, you could not go without having a conversation without, with him without him quoting scripture. It was always there. And as a child growing up, I didn't find it like, oh, Grandpa, I found it fascinating it, didn't, like, it enthralled me how he could just sit there and quote scripture. And he did it like he believed it. And my own father, he passed that on to my own father. And if you know my dad, he has a great memory and he can memorize. He has the whole Sermon on the Mount memorized. And he can do that. And it's, it's neat. I love that. I love that tradition that they've passed down. And my father made it, was very, it was very important to him that we had read from the Bible every day. And this was all the way up until we left the house. It didn't matter if we were 21 or 5. We couldn't leave the house until he read from the Bible. And he did that. We had this children's Bible, and we read through it many times. It's very tattered because when we'd finish it, we'd read it again. And I'm thankful for that because that planted in me a hunger for God's Word. So to say that, don't neglect reading God's Word together as a family. Charles Spurgeon, a well-known preacher, when asked how he prayed, he said, I go to the Bible, I find a promise applicable to my need, then I reverently plead that promise before the Lord, asking him to keep it for Jesus' sake, and I believe God will, and he does. Trust in the strength and the reliability of your weapon, of God's word. The Bible is the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. There is power in the words you speak. You see, the authority of God and the authority of Scripture, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So when you are speaking forth God's word, you're speaking forth the very authority of God. And it's powerful. It's important to remember, too, though, when you are speaking forth the word of God, you don't do it to attack other believers. Remember, we're not the enemy. We do it to attack Satan, and we we come against him. So in conclusion, let's find out what happened to the Israelites and and their building of the wall as they were being attacked and as they were keeping on and keeping going. What happened? Well, they finished. They finished the wall, and it says they finished it in 52 days which is amazing. It's a record. And after they completed the wall, they experienced the spiritual renewal that Nehemiah wanted and that what God wanted. So it says that after they completed the wall, the people gathered together at the square before the water gate. And the Bible says, with a unified purpose, they were unified, they were together. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law and to read from it. So Ezra read from it morning till noon. And look at what the people's response was in Nehemiah 8, 5. 
Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and they responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see what happened when they persevered, when they didn't let the enemy come against them, when they didn't give up and they kept on and kept fighting? They responded in worship. I love that. They gave God the glory and God renewed them. It says later on that Nehemiah told them, This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that awesome? I love that because whatever trial we're going through, we know that at the end, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He gives us the joy during it too. But we have the joy, we have worship, we have spiritual renewal. It's what keeps us going because it's hard. I know that. I know life is hard. And I know that some of you right now are in the thick of it. You're, you're in that. The enemy's taunting you. You're carrying, you're the one carrying that heavy load that heavy burden. You're the one who's fighting really hard for someone you love. I, my brothers, and I have two brothers right now, and both of them are going through a very difficult time. One brother is fighting for his wife who's fighting cancer, and he has to care for her, and he's tired, and he's weary. I have another brother who's got a special needs daughter who has hundreds of seizures a day, and he's broken, because he wants healing and health for his daughter. And they're weary. And they're tired. And I know. And I know I've been there. And I know what it's like. But I want to encourage you to not give up. That you have the resources to keep on and to keep fighting. Remember, you can pray and cry out to God. Because he will hear you. Because he fights for you. And he will frustrate the plans of the enemy. And remember who you're fighting for and who you're fighting with. You're not alone. You have this family right here in this room. You have spiritual family. You have them. Rely on them. Rely on the strength of your family. And carry your weapon with you at all times. Don't let the word of God depart from your mouth, from your mind, from your spirit. Trust in it. Trust in it because it is what gives you the strength. It's what gives you the fight to keep going. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up, if you would, please. And I just want to say that if there's some of you here today, and you're going through that, you're in the thick of it, and you're battle-weary, you're tired, and you just need strength, I just would ask that maybe you would lift your hands if you are, if that's you. And I'd pray that those around you, if you're lifting your hand, that those around them would just touch them. And I just want to pray over you. I just want you to know that you can draw near to the one who fights for you. That you don't have to give up. That you can keep going because God has a plan and a purpose for what you're going through. He works all things together for good. All things. So let's say I just want to pray for you. Lord, I come to you and I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are our strong warrior, that you fight for us and that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. 
And I thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, that we can rely on it, that we can, that it is our weapon to fight against the enemy and his attacks. Lord, I pray for those here who are going through the battle. The enemy is relentless. The enemy won't stop with the taunts, the insults, the attacks. And I just pray right now that you would fill them up with your presence, that your Holy Spirit would fall on them, Lord Jesus, I pray, and that they would rise up in the strength that comes from you. And they would cry out to you, Oh, God, save me and frustrate the plans of the enemy. And God, I pray that they would lean on their spiritual family. They would gather, God, get support from them and that they would endure and they would hold up, Lord God, their weapon. They would not depart from your word. Strengthen them, oh Lord, I God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.